Hey, thanks for tuning in to the Bethlehem Church Podcast, where our goal is to offer you compelling biblical content to equip you to live an empowered Christian life. Each week, you'll hear a message from our lead pastor, Matt Robinson, or another member of the Bethlehem team. We also host a conversation every week where we unpack different facets of Sunday's message. We're so excited about this message, and we hope it's a blessing to you. Let's jump in. We try to read Ruth chapter 3 in the context of how we do life and how we do relationships. You would be like, yeah, we ain't letting our kids read that. Uh, and, I, and I think that often happens uh, in our society. People talk about the Bible, uh, and mainly... I hear this in a derogatory way towards scripture, and it's, you know, maybe a, a modern-day uh, philosopher or someone who uh, reads it for uh, how it is or could be interpreted through a Western context, which is us. Um, you know, I, I think that that is the mistake that's made often. They don't think about the fact that the Lord chose to reveal himself in Moses' day and in Moses' ways. Uh, and when you consider that, it's like it's not a direct application towards uh, how your life is right now. Uh, make sure uh, that we can hear online. Maybe, uh, I don't know if we can test that. We're we good. Okay. Uh, it's just a little bit lower in here than it normally is, but it's not. As long as it's good on there, I don't mind. Because um, I'm going to get loud here in a minute. But um, anyway, follow, follow me on this line of thinking. Someone who is not trained in it, doesn't understand it, they pick up the Bible, they read this story, they're going to be like, uh-uh, that is some weird, and you're going to see what I mean here in a minute. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. It's, it's bizarre. It's some bizarre things. But what, what we have to do is say, what did it mean to them? What is the narrator, the, the storyteller, maybe Samuel, some people think it's Samuel who wrote this book, what is he trying to say, and how would it have been received um, to an ancient Israelite, not how does this apply in 2022. So I think a lot of things I see uh, circulating, and good to see you, uh, a lot of things that I see people starting to come back out, I love it. Uh, a lot of things that I see circulating about people poo-pooing on the Bible, I'm just like, you know, you just don't understand, you don't get it. Like, go, it's, it's like saying this, uh, the Roman culture, right, that we can get a sense for in, in Scripture they had some bizarre ways, right? Jesus was, was crucified by the Romans, right? That government, and for, for those of you who don't know, maybe here we go. He was crucified by the Romans, right? The, the Jewish Sanhedrin, a government operating underneath Roman rule, uh, collaborated, schemed, and connived to accomplish our Savior dying on a cross, uh, and so we have to realize that that is the time, the period of time that our Savior chose to enter into this earth was 2,000 years ago. So uh, if he entered into the, the world 2,000 years ago with an iPhone, it wouldn't have made sense. They'd have been like, what is that? What is this tomfoolery? But, but he very well could have done that. He very well could have had a back to the future kind of moment, but that's not what he did. He, the Bible says he became obedient unto death, took upon him the form of a servant, was made in the likeness of man. 
He chose that period of time to reveal himself to all of mankind. So do we look at the cultural faux pas of that day and we go, that's horrible. I can't believe that the Bible talks like that. It has to talk like that because it was written during their time period. In Moses' day, in Moses' ways, that's how we interpret. We don't say, how does this compare to uh, the Declaration of Independence? (laughs) How does this compare to America, right? No, we draw applications. We understand that there is an undercurrent of principle, and his name is Jesus, and he is applicable through every age, but context is so important. It's vitally important. And we don't uh, rip the meaning from this story and say it directly applies this way. We say, what did it mean for Ruth to do what she did during that day? Because today, shoot, if my daughter did this, I'd be like, you're grounded. <laughs> Sweetheart, you ain't coming out the house till you're 19 and a half. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's, woo, it's, 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 a, it's a doozy is what it is. Uh, but how we interpret the Bible is everything. That's how cults are formed, right? That's how uh, the church down the street that has no windows is formed. Why do they not have windows? Just keep asking yourself that question. We have windows. We have drapes because we don't have uh, expensive lighting, and it affects the camera, and then Carmen can't uh, get a picture outlined. That's why we cover the windows. We're not trying to, like, trap you in or do something demonic with these black shades on the windows. Like, it's, it's utilitarian, strictly, you know? Uh, but, but anyway, my point is, is how people perceive Scripture in its context means everything. Uh, so I'm going to do my best to be faithful to the text today, even though it's a wild story. If you haven't been, been in church in a while and you're here today, you picked a great day to come. Uh, and I want to apologize. I want to apologize ahead of time uh, for, for any innuendos and jokes that I may have today that are distasteful. Look, nothing I can say can be worse than what happens in this scripture right here. So uh, yeah, have, have, have a little fun with me today. I'll try to keep it. I don't even see any kids in here. No, I think everybody's, I think we're doing okay. I'll try to keep it for those that are online that have kids in the living room, a.k.a. my wife, which, by the way, my wife's doing better. Uh, she's slowly improving. My, my youngest, who has been sick, is slowly improving. His lungs are clear, which for that we are, we are grateful. Um, so we're just doing what we're doing for probably another three, four days, uh, and hopefully we'll be out of the woods. How many are ready for this sickness to be done and over with? I hope that this is like the runway. You know what I mean? This last Omicron, I hope Omicron doesn't turn into Megatron. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I hope that we can just find a landing place with this and we'll be all right. Uh, anyway, so let's read Ruth chapter 3. Let's read Ruth chapter 3 together. We're going to read the whole thing and then you'll see what I'm talking about. All right? I'll probably read the whole thing and then go back and do some, some susplaining. You know what I'm saying? Let me pray one more time. You pray that the Lord does something in your heart. Father, we, we need your spirit this morning. We need uh, a fresh moving of the Holy Ghost. And so, Father, we pray that through this text as we approach it, uh, that you would be at the center of all that is said and done. Jesus, we know that you are our kinsman redeemer. We know that you have gone before us. You, we know that you have done all that we cannot do. And so, Father, we're seeing that faithfully uh, described in this text. But today, as we deal with a difficult chapter, Uh, We pray that you would uh, teach us, instruct us like only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, Before I read chapter 3, I want to say one more thing. I can't get into chapter 4 today. It's too much material, so chapter 4 is next week. Are you you, you feel me? Chapter 4 is, it's the bow. 
on, on the gift that is being wrapped today. If it feels like there's tension at the end of today's message, it's because there, there will be tension. I, I want so bad to get into chapter four and tell you how this story ends, but it's not gonna happen until next week. So we're gonna read this chapter, we're gonna deal with the difficult things, we're gonna draw an application, and then we're gonna leave that tension to be resolved next Sunday morning when we tie this whole thing together and when we see Boaz come through. Uh, but but we're, we're not gonna be there until next week. So the tension that will be uh, evident and there at the end of today's message is on purpose because today we're only going through chapter three. So what that means is every one of you has to come back next week and or be online and bring a friend. That's a requirement, okay? It's a requirement. All right, chapter three, let's read it. <laughs> anyway, I'm just kidding. Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, my daughter, should I find rest for you so that you will be taken care of? Now, isn't Boaz our relative? Look, whenever your mother-in-law starts asking open-ended questions like this, run, get out of there. Be like, look, I ain't having nothing to do with this. And my mother-in-law's in town. She's watching right now online. They came to help my wife and because uh, I'm a horrible husband and I'm not helpful at all. Just kidding. Uh, but look, when your mother-in-law starts asking questions like these, look, get out, run, like get away. Hey, isn't Boaz, like, you know, he's... He could be our kinsman redeemer. <laughs> Something bad is about to happen. Isn't Boaz our relative? Look, if, if in what, this is like West Virginia context. If you're from West Virginia, I'm sorry. But when they say, is he our relative? Wink, wink. Like stuff's about to go down. I'm trying to tell you. Haven't, haven't you been working with his female servants? This evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. I also want to say this. I'm going to probably say some things that might shake you in about 2.3 minutes. So just hang on, okay? Uh, this evening, he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash. Put on perfumed oil. Put on the smell good. Put on the skinnered. Head into town like a NASCAR winner. Here we go. Right Here it is. Put on the, the, the smell good, get cleaned up, go down to the threshing floor, but don't let the man know that you're there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, notice the place where he is lying, go in and uncover his feet, we'll come back to that, and lie down. Then he will explain to you what you should do. So that's where Naomi's instruction ends, and he says, Bo and she says, Boaz is going to tell you what to do next. So Ruth said to her, I will do everything you say. She set the precedent in chapter one that where you go, I'll go. What you say, I'm going to say. What you tell me to do, I'm going to what? And then she asked her to do something crazy. You feel me? So keep reading with me. I'm going to do whatever you say, verse 5. She went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law had charged her to do. See, that's, there you go. <laughs> Don't do what your mother-in-law says. Um, just kidding, it was, it was sovereign, sovereignly dictated. Here it, here it is. So verse 7, look at it. After Boaz ate and drank and was in good spirits, he went to lie down at the end of the pile of barley, and she came secretly uncovering his feet and lay down. For those of you that say alcohol is not in the Bible, you're not reading the Bible. 
you're not, re- I'm just, I'm here to tell you, you're not reading the Bible. I, for years, uh, many years in my life, these things were spiritualized and they were glossed over and, and, and they were ignored and, and there's no, wine in the Bible was non-alcoholic. How else can you explain, listen, you're going to come in at night after my man is full and drunk and he lays down, that's when you pull the covers off. How else can you describe that? But that's what people do. They say, oh, no, that wasn't alcohol. (laughs) That was grape juice. Welch's grape juice, in fact. Look, we have to start being real with the Bible. We We have to stop projecting onto the text and understand that the Lord works in our fallenness. And I'm not saying Boaz was at fault here. But I'm trying to say, stop telling the text what it means and start reading the Bible for what it's saying. You understand? How else do you take and interpret that, She gave specific instructions that after he had eaten and after in this culture, the man that is literally reaping his harvest, this was a celebratory time after he's feeling good and in good spirits. Does anybody need an explanation of what that means? And he lays down. That's when you make your move. Okay. All right. That went over. A lead balloon. I'm just trying. Okay. All right. Keep going, Matt. It's okay. Lord's with you. (laughs) She uncovered his feet and laid down. Verse 8, at midnight, she laid down, uncovered his feet. At midnight, Boaz was startled. So we don't, the the narrator, the narrator's a genius, really. He's a a genius. How he is portraying this story, he gives this ambiguity on purpose. It's at night. We know it's the cover at night, but then he gives the time at midnight. So there could have been some time that passed. She might have slid in there so quietly and uncovered him. Here's what some people think. It was the cold. It took some time for the blankets to have the wind that rushed through the threshing floor, and he was startled because he was uncovered. You feel me? Maybe, possibly, could be, at midnight. Had midnight. Let's continue our country. Uh, Anyway, sorry. Anyway, just trying to keep you engaged here. Stay with me. At midnight, Boaz was startled, turned over, and there lying at his feet was a woman. So he asked, who are you? Now remember, Naomi gave her specific instructions, right? Naomi said, you do these things, and then he'll tell you what to do next. Is that what happened, yes or no? The answer is no. She did everything that she was told to do, and he woke up and said, who the heck are you? startled out of his sleep, you know, feeling maybe still good. I don't know. Who knows? He says, who are you? She says this. Her wording here, the narrator, once again, I love what he does here showing this. He says, she says, rather, I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Listen to the way this plays out. Then he said, may the Lord bless you, my daughter. You have shown more kindness now than before. We're going to put this together in a minute. Because you have not pursued younger men, whether rich or poor. Now, don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say. Since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble what? Of noble character. Yes, it is, it is true that I am a family redeemer. Watch this. But there is a redeemer closer than I am. Stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. 
But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, what does he say? I will. Now lie down until the morning. So she lie down at his feet until morning, but got up while it was still dark. Then Boaz said, don't let it be known that a woman came to a threshing floor. And he told Ruth, bring the shawl you're wearing and hold it out. When she held it out, he shoveled six measures of barley into her shawl, and she went into the town. She went to her mother-in-law, Naomi, who asked, what happened, my daughter? Then Ruth told her everything that the man had done for her. She said, he gave me these six measures of barley because he said, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Isn't that the truth? All mother-in-laws want is stuff. Do you see it? No, I'm kidding. I'm I'm just messing with you, Deanie. I really am. (laughs) Naomi, sorry. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go. Don't miss that. Wait until you find out how things go. For he won't rest unless... He resolves this today. What a story. I mean, PG-13 at best. You feel me? Interesting. Now, just to catch up to speed here, chapter 1, her, Naomi's husband, Ruth's father-in-law dies. After leaving land, there's two things at play in this story that, that really come to a head here in chapter 3. There's two things. Leaving Bethlehem, Judah... It's a little loud, huh? Leaving, leaving Bethlehem, Judah, they left their land that Elimelech owned. Now follow me. That land was still there in Bethlehem, Judah. Going to Moab, trying to find some land that they could reap a harvest, Elimelech dies, Naomi's husband, and the two sons, Naomi's two sons, Malon and Chilion, they die as well. Their, their wives were Ruth and Orpah, two Moabitess women. So uh, when Naomi, after 10 years, her husband dies, her sons die, she tells her two daughter-in-laws, Ruth and Orpah, go back to your homeland. I'm going to Bethlehem, Judah. I'm going home as Mara. I'm going home as bitter. Naomi's name means pleasant. It means kindness. And, And the Lord has been kind to me. He has been pleasant to me, but not at this point. My story has changed. Tragedy and trauma was seeking to redefine who Naomi was, and and she decided that she would go by Mara, which means bitter. And Orpah decided, yes, Naomi, I love you, God bless you, but I'm going to go. And in this culture, we have to understand, this isn't like The Bachelor, right? Where she was just looking for a rose or something like that. This is not as sexual as as you can think it is in our culture. It does kind of sound like a Bad Lifetime movie, though, doesn't it? I mean, like one of those weird, I don't know, uh, that's, that's what I was thinking, but... In this, in this culture, what mattered is that a young woman had a husband, and that husband would give her a what? A son. That son would carry on being able to work in that land, being able to produce, uh, and then more children. That was their posterity. That was the only way they were to, to survive. Without a child, without a namesake, without someone to work the field, nothing would continue. Do you see what was at stake? Do you see what was on the line? So Orpah deciding to go find her a husband right away. Ruth tells Naomi in chapter 1, where you go, I'll go. Where you stay, I'll stay. Watch this. Your God will be 
my God. And the implications of that statement have been unfolding ever since. Go back and listen to my other messages that we've preached up to this point. But here's what I want you to see. In chapter 2, she finds herself, Ruth is working in a field owned by this, this cat named Boaz, right? And Boaz is a wealthy man. He is also related to Elimelech, her father-in-law that passed away. According to Deuteronomy, I'll read you the passage. I'm kind of bouncing around here if you're following the program. There's a passage in Deuteronomy. I'm sorry, Levit- there is one in Deuteronomy too, but Leviticus chapter 25, verse 25 through 28, it says this, if your brother becomes destitute and sells part of his property, his nearest relative may come and redeem what his brother has sold. If a man has no family redeemer, but he prospers and obtains enough to redeem his land, he may calculate the years since its sale, repay the balance to the man he sold it to, and return to his property. But if he cannot obtain enough to repay him, what he he sold will remain in his possession of its purchaser until the year of Jubilee. It is released at Jubilee so that he may return to his property. There were Old Testament, Old Covenant laws at play. For if Elimelech dies, his property could be redeemed by a close to kin. Whether his brother or his first or second cousin, the next one in line would have an opportunity to redeem the land. So that's one thing at play here. The land. Ruth is now uh, on Boaz's field working, but Naomi knows being from Bethlehem, Judah, being a Jew, uh, having a husband that owned property, she had to have a man be a kinsman redeemer to uh, take advantage of the land that was owned by her husband. It was the law of the land. It was how it worked. So unless she has someone, a man, step in, that, that, that was the culture of the day. Unless someone steps in to be a kinsman redeemer, there is no one there to take advantage of the land. Now, the other thing that's at play, the land, number one. Number two, Ruth herself, who now was, who was a Moabitess woman, is a Moabitess woman, but uh, she's her daughter-in-law who her son chose, wasn't able to have a child with her son. And so she, she also uh, wants to uh, reward Ruth for her loyalty. She wants to help her find a husband. Because if she has a husband and she has a child that is brought to uh, her by that husband, by that kinsman redeemer, then their family line, that son can be the one that will be the heir and redeem that land and it will continue. Do you see this like, web of things that are there. But the picture that's painted is that Ruth is working in this field, and this man, Boaz, is a good man. We talked about it last week. He's a good man. He tells, he tells Ruth, he says, everything that you've done to follow Naomi, your mother-in-law, has been told to me. Everything that, that you have done to, to make it possible for her to survive, I know about it. And he said, he said this to her in chapter 2, verse 12. He said, may the Lord reward you for your faithfulness. May the Lord reward you for being decisively loyal. Okay, so you're up to speed on the story. My main man, Boaz, has a ton of people working for him during barley season. Uh, according to this in chapter 3, it's probably over. Now they're taking what was harvested, and there's two places that are there on his property. One is the winnowing floor, 
where essentially this grain is beat out. The chaff is separated, and it's in a place where that grain can be used. That's where it is beat down. Chances are, Boaz himself was not the one doing this process. He was the one looking on to his servants because he was the, the one who owned it. He's the one looking on at the harvest that is then being separated and beaten out. There's another place uh, called a wine press that's close by. In this culture, uh, the winnowing, uh, the threshing floor where this winnowing happens, it is also a place that the wine press would be close by, another harvest. Uh, to produce wine. So this celebratory moment, after a harvest, he's eating, he's drinking, and he is feeling good about what the Lord has done for him. Do you understand the setting, the story, the timing? And Naomi goes, now's the time to put it all on the line. Now is the time that we risk everything. How many see that they were desperate? Land that they couldn't redeem without the kinsman redeemer. I, I'm telling you, you've got to come back next week for chapter four. It gets so much better. But this week we're talking about this situation, okay? Plug over. You understand the situation that she's in? Land owned by her husband that someone else has to redeem. Uh, a daughter-in-law that chose to be decisively loyal that she's in her mind going, how do I make this connection for her? How do, how do I uh, cross the finish line for poor Ruth who decided to stay with an old hag like me? I don't get it. How is she so kind to me? How, how has she decided to walk this tough path with me? I, I got to do something. I have to do something. What is it that she does? She says, I have a plan. And this plan whew, is literally going to leave it all on the court. This plan will be, there, there's absolutely no turning back. If you do what I say, it's going to work out. Can you imagine? There had to be a feeling in, in the pit of Naomi's stomach going, I hope this works out. I'm putting this young girl in the most vulnerable position she'll ever be in in her entire life. How would she feel if it didn't work out? I think we all, and this is a precursor to next week's message, I think we all need to see that we are all, if we are in exile, if we haven't put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if you're watching online and you haven't put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, let me explain to you how desperate you are. But before Jesus, before the one who makes all the difference in the world, the world has to understand that the time is up. Today is the day for your salvation. And if you are without Christ, it is time for a desperate move. It is time to lay it all on the line and put your faith and trust in Jesus. But today's message, that's more next week, but today's message is about you you believers, you Christians, y'all that are watching online right now, that you've been stagnant. You've walked through some tough times as a believer. You, you've gone back home to Bethlehem, Judah. You've opened up and cracked your Bible. Maybe you've had some, some good days of talking to the Lord in prayer and reading since January 1st, right? That's the time. We read our Bibles for a good 10 days, and then it fizzles out, right? Maybe some of you are still in that moment where you're like, I'm going to do better this year. Maybe the Lord is calling you to something. Maybe he's calling you to something bigger. Look, the time is now. How many can think of a better time, more important time to share the gospel than right now? 
a more desperate time to make a move for the sake of the gospel than right now. A more desperate time to mend that relationship that has been ailing you. A more desperate time to to actually have a good marriage. You're not kidding or fooling anybody. What good are you doing going through the motions? Naomi says, look, I get it. We have been provided for, but that man has more. There's more at stake than just us having food next year. There's my, my dead husband's property. There's you, Ruth. And if we don't make a move, if we don't put it all on the line and go all in, we'll never know. That's the moment she was at. So I want to ask you, is there a moment in your life that you went all in? Or is there a moment in your life that you know it's coming that you need to go all in on something? The time is now. The time is now. This young lady put it all on the line. So I want to stop right there today, and I want to focus in on this story. What transpired that night was unbelievable, and it could have been really bad for her. But she did it because it was worth it. It was worth it to her, and it was worth it to Naomi. Sometimes the Lord, when you walk with the Lord, he has some challenging turbulent waters that he has for you to walk through. But eventually, he'll lead you beside still waters. Maybe some of y'all are Peter, and you're just, you're about ready to step out. And maybe you have stepped out, you're like, okay, I'm doing this, God, and this is where I'm headed, and you've begun to what? Sink. And he's like, look, just take my hand. You, you know what I mean. Like, like a relationship, let's just stay right there. I feel like the Holy Spirit wants me to stay right there. Someone you haven't talked to in years because you just don't know how it's going to go. You just don't know if the pain will still be there. If you're operating anything in your life out of fear, shame, and guilt, the enemy's got you. I'm scared to make a move. And the devil's like, yeah. <laughs> what are you scared of? Failure? The Lord, if you're making that move for the Lord, he's going to use that failure for his good. There is no failure for a believer. If you're in the will of God, he's going to use that. All things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. If it's his purpose, failure is okay. It's not final. We're operating from a place of victory. We know that. But many, many will operate this year, 2022, in fear, in shame, and guilt. I would talk to them, but I'm just so ashamed of what I did. So you're going to let the devil perpetuate. You're going to leave that relationship in, in the perpetuity of shame. Oh, okay. You're going to stay in that marriage in the state that it's in? Disaster? You ain't hugged each other or told each other you loved each other and forever? What in the world? The enemy's like, got him. (laughs) Yeah, this is great. No, there's a move to be made this year. We're not going to get to chapter four without risking everything in chapter three. Look, and I'm telling you, if I pull back the curtain just a little bit, chapter four says it was worth the risk. Here's what I think is interesting. Are you ready for this, theologians? Understand this. Chapter 3 is the last time that Ruth and Naomi speak. After they lay it all on the line, literally, 
after they put it all out there, you never hear from them in chapter four. Chapter four is all providence, the Lord taking care of them. I'm trying to tell you that they don't speak. You don't hear from Naomi and Ruth ever again. The last time you hear from them is Naomi says, my daughter, wait until you find out how things go, for he won't rest unless he resolves this today. I'm trying to tell you that you're one risky decision away from a victory. I'm trying to tell you today in 2022 that you got to put it all on the line. The Lord will take care of the rest as long as you operate out of fear, as long as you operate out of shame, as long as you operate out of the guilt that you have because of what you did. The devil's got control. Break those chains. Let the truth set you free and say, Lord, I'm putting it all on the line, and he'll take care of the rest. You won't even need to speak for yourself after that. I'm trying to tell y'all. Okay. Let's learn some lessons from Boaz and from Ruth, okay? And then we'll go, oh my goodness, it's 12.02. And then we're going to go to the house, all right? Here it is. Some things that I think need stated for you to understand just the full picture here of this text. It says this, a parallel verse. Ruth says this, remember, she slides slides in under the cover of night so no one would see. Boaz is feeling good. He's laying down. When the Bible says feet, many people believe that that means private parts. And if you look it up, Google it. Maybe don't Google it. Uh, Biblically, feet can mean more than than that. It was a a term that the narrator would use that had more of a meaning to it than just feet. I think it's consistent with Scripture to say that feet, we could say, means legs. It's, It's more to it than just his feet. She was to uncover him to the place where he would be uncomfortable in that state. As to uh, signify, as as to signal to him that she wants him to make a move on her. Now, a text that would, if you have a study Bible, your Bible would probably give this as a reference. So I'm going to read the text where Ruth goes, she uncovers him. He's startled at midnight. You know where I am in the story, right? He's startled and he says, who are you? She says this, I am Ruth, your servant, she replied. Now remember, Naomi told her, he's going to tell you what to do next. But that's not how it played out. He said to her, who are you? Then she had to respond. And so really, uh, she puts it all out there. And here's what she says. Take me, she replied, take me under your wing, for you are a family redeemer. Ezekiel 16, verse 8 says this. I'm I'm trying to paint the picture of what she's really saying. Then I passed by you and saw you, and you were indeed at the age for love. So I spread the edge of my garment over you and covered your nakedness. I pledged myself to you, entered into a covenant with you. This is the declaration of the Lord God, and you became mine. The term, take me under your wing, is the same connotation as you covered me with the edge of your garment. She's saying, let's become one, if you will. She's putting herself out there and saying, you are someone that can marry me because we're family. Legally, this is a a, a legal act that can happen with you and I, and you can redeem, be our kinsman redeemer for me. And the implication is also the land that is owned by Elimelech. That's really what she's saying. Now, here's what I want to point out. This is incredible. 
Remember what Boaz said in Ruth chapter 2, verse 12. Boaz says this, May the Lord reward you for what you have done. May you receive a full reward from the Lord God of Israel under whose wings you have come for refuge. Remember, she thought of herself as a foreigner, being a Moabitess woman, but Boaz said the Lord sees you as a daughter. Remember that from last week. Boaz was on another he, he, he was on another level with this situation. She was saying, I need you to take me as a wife. And Boaz continued with the same context from chapter 2. And he says, you don't need me to take you under your wing. You're under the Lord's wing. You don't need my garment. You need the Lord's garment. These are all pictures of who Jesus is for us. But I, I want you to see the full, you know, the, the full picture here. I don't believe anything sexual happened that night at all. I think that some people read into the text, but the narrator is, is leaving the ambiguity for the purpose of the story, for the narrative. And the narrative is this. Ruth was in the most vulnerable position she could have ever put herself in, and Naomi put her there. Do you see it? Knowing that literally their survival was at stake. Naomi says, we have to go all in. Now, here's what I want to do today. I want to learn two things. I want to learn, number one, who do we go all in with? This is where we're going to pull up short in chapter three, and we'll talk about the implications next week. Who do we go all in with? Who did Naomi go all in? I'm sorry, who did Ruth go in, go all in with? Who was it? Boaz. She put it all out there on the threshing floor, didn't she? Boaz. Now, the thing is, is what was her perspective? Who did she go all in with? And then what motivated her to go all in? And here's what I'm going to say to you, church. We need to pick our friends carefully. We need to choose who we go all in with because that choice is the outcome. When the situation goes far beyond what you can determine, that's what will make the difference in your decision. I want to give you a few things. Number one, who should we go all in with? Number one, someone who is more spiritual than we are. Chapter 12, I'm sorry, chapter 2, verse 12, Boaz said, listen, sweetheart, daughter. He made it very clear his intentions were to care for her. And, and he said to her, understand this, that the Lord has you covered. You don't, you don't see it. You're, you're in a position, Ruth, where you just declared your loyalty uh, to, to Naomi. She knows who the God of Israel is. You're not there yet. I, Boaz, I've seen it my whole life. When she chooses, and I say this, she took her marching orders from who? Naomi. So it was their decision together to make this gutsy vulnerable decision for Ruth to go to the threshing floor that night, they chose the man that was more spiritual than they were. Here's a problem I see with Christians. Here's what Paul said. Paul said it this way in Galatians. Ye did run well. Who did hinder you that ye should not obey the truth? The problem is, is when you make that decision to take that next step for God, if you're not surrounded by people who are more spiritual than you, you're dead in the water. 
do we all, can we all like get that feeling in the pit of our stomach that this, this situation could have gone really bad? She came in the cover of night. She was a foreigner. He was a man of authority, of means, of wealth. He was already a man that had, uh, he, he had the trust of the people. Follow me here. She comes in late at night. He could have done whatever he wanted to do, and it would have been her word against his. It was vitally important that they chose the right person. And then Boaz says this. He says, you, you did well, daughter. You chose me rather than someone what? Younger or for poor or rich. He was the right person. Listen, church, when you go all in and you make that decision to take that move for the Lord, it's vitally important that you move with someone who's more spiritual than you. I see this happen all the time in relationships with young people. I was a youth pastor for a long time. You just don't understand. I'm going to invite them to church. I'm going to bring them to church. He's so cute. Oh, my goodness. His biceps are so big. Honey, please. <laughs> Look, I get it. You're not moving with someone more spiritual than you. Do you understand what I'm saying? You could boil this down to every area. Why are you making that move in that relationship? Because you're trying to get something or because you're getting closer to someone who is more spiritual than you? If we all were pursuing Jesus, this would look very healthy. It would be like, Boaz, he's the one. Listen, I know what we're going to do. Here's what you're going to do. You're going to go take a bath. <laughs> here's some perfume. Here's my wedding dress when I was your age. You're going to love it. And she's like, oh, gosh. No, I don't love it, Mom, but it's okay. How about we get on Amazon and find something else? <laughs> this is going to be great. But in that moment, what really mattered is nothing of what they did, but who they chose to do it with. I can't tell you this. It's, it's so important. If you don't make a move for Jesus in 2022, it's going to be because of someone. It's going to be because you moved with the wrong person. Some of y'all are in a horrible, you're watching me online. I won't pick on anybody here, but you're watching me online, and you're in a terrible relationship, and you know it. Get out of it. The best thing for both of you is to find Jesus apart from one another. Who you make that move with is important. It's important. She was in the most vulnerable moment of her entire life, and she chose someone who is more spiritual than her. Number two, she chose someone who has more to lose than, than she did. He said to her, he said, listen, you're going to wait. You're going to stay here. Here's six, six loads of barley I'm going to put in your your satchel there, and you're going to leave under the cover of night still. You're going to get up and leave so that no one else sees you. Why? Because he had a what? A reputation. He had a whole farm, people that worked for him, right? He had everything to lose. What did she have to lose? Come on, what did she have to lose? Nothing. She had absolutely nothing to lose, but he had everything to lose. Some of y'all are pursuing relationships with people that would love to link up with you. This can go, like, I, I, this doesn't have to be, like, who you want to spend your rest of your life with. It can be coworkers. It can be who you want your mentor to be. You want your mentor to be someone who has more to lose than you. I meet with a guy once a month. 
either on the phone or, and he is someone I respect. He's someone who's planted multiple churches. He's someone who's been there, done that, who's raised his kids. He, he's, he's got a lot more than I do. Why does that make sense? Because he has wisdom. It's so hard because 21-year-olds, 25-year-olds, whatever, the young people, it's like you just want somebody just like you to walk through life with. What you need is somebody who's 10 years your tenure. You need someone who has more to lose than you. And, and you get to a point in life when you, as an adult, as a parent, you see this. People are like leeches. They want what you have, and they're coming to get it, and we can all see it because we're like, all they want to do is suck you dry, and you're going, why can't I just get anywhere for the Lord? Why can't I just have confidence in the Lord? Because of all the people that are sucking the Lord right out of you. What if you were around someone who had more to lose than you? They would be cautious with you. We're, we're around the wrong people. Our friend groups are weak. Our mentors are weak at best. You say, well, no one, no, one, no one wants to talk with me. No one wants to hang out with me. Look, do we talk about she went to the threshing floor. She uncovered that man's feet. How's that feel? You got that air coming, blowing in through here? It was everything. She had everything to lose. Here's the thing. You don't value what the Lord has done for you. You don't value it. Your posterity means nothing to you in 2022. Do you understand your worth? You were made in the image of God. Do you understand the price that Jesus paid for you? With the death of his own, God, with the death of his own son, died for you because he loves you and he cares for you and he wants what's best for you. And Satan said, here's 10 people to hang out with that are horrible. And you're like, oh, friends. These are my people. <laughs> my people. We wear the same stuff. We read the same stuff. We share a Netflix account. <laughs> the heck is wrong with you? The Lord's looking at you like you're a child of God, and you're like, uh-uh. <laughs> I'm a child that's loved by people that suck. You need somebody to look you in the face and say you're worth more than that. Not from a place of you're better than that. No, he has told you you're better than that. Surround yourself with people that have something to lose, my goodness gracious. Surround yourself with people that actually have more money than you do. If you're the one constantly paying, you should probably change your friend group, just saying. And sweetheart, if he tells you to pick up the check, run! Run! If I ever find out that my daughter goes on a date with some bum that said, oh, I forgot my wallet in the truck, I will kick his teeth in. In Jesus' name! You hear me. I would be like, do not ever text or talk to that boy again. I will break him in half. I'm not an angry person. I'm not. I'm kind of te teasing. Why do we do this? Paul said, church at Galatia, if you can't see the worth that you have in Jesus, understand that I gave a year and a half of my life for some false teacher to come into your life and, and just strip your Christianity right out from under you. The heck is your problem? Find someone who has more to lose than you. These are good, I'm sorry, these are good principles. Verse 10, it says this. <laughs> I, I, I've already said it. He said, you're gonna leave 
under the cover of night because my, <laughs> my reputation is important. Number three, someone who has a proven track record. Verse 10, watch this. He said the same thing to her when she says, let's, let's do this thing. He says the same thing to her in chapter three that he said to her in chapter two. The Lord's got you, sweetheart. The answer tonight is not that we are intimate. It's that he has already been intimate. He already has provided a way. He has already set this up. Some of y'all that are looking to make that next move, understand that next move has already, God has a track record of success laid out for you. So find somebody who has a proven track record. Boaz was the choice. He was the one. Number four, my goodness, find someone. <laughs> Verse 13, let me, let me help you with this. He says, I just can't get enough of this, this passage here. It says this, stay here tonight and in the morning. If he wants to redeem you, that's good. Let him redeem you. But if he doesn't want to redeem you, as the Lord lives, I will. Now lie down till the morning. Let me get my two cents here. Number four is find someone you're going to go all in with that, who's got, that God's plan is their plan. God's plan is their plan. What do I mean? I'm assuming this is what we do, right? And I, to, I told you not to do this in the beginning of the message, but I'm going to do it just a little bit just for the sake of context. I'm assuming she was a pretty young girl, right? And she's there. And it's midnight, right? And she's there and, and she uncovers his feet whatever that means. <laughs> May I change your socks, sir? <laughs> like Mr. Deeds. <laughs> I like feet. <laughs> I couldn't resist. I had to. <sighs> the sneakiness. Okay, so I'm done. <laughs> She's there. He's there. It's midnight. Nobody's around. Nobody saw. Why not? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. Yeah, he knows. And, and then to go further, here's a young girl that wants you to be their kinsman redeemer. He says this, let me also explain to you that I'm not the next one in line. If he doesn't want you, if the Lord wills, I'll take you. That shows that he was okay with it. He wanted it. But he said, just stay here tonight. And we'll find out in the morning. Look at verse number 11. Before I just go off on this. Look at verse number 11. Now don't be afraid, my daughter. I will do for you whatever you say, since all the people in my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Here's what we do. We make the move with someone who is a person of character, whose God's plan is their plan. Let me explain something to you. If you have a friend or you're in a relationship with someone that says this, nobody will know, get out. Get out. Eventually, the secret won't be between you two. It'll be about you two. The lie grows in the dark, but it's exterminated in the light. So what I need you to do is I need you to wait here. I'm not going to act on this at night. 
I'm going to go to the town square tomorrow and I'm going to work it out with the person who's next in line. That's a man of character. That's someone who's worthy to, to engage with. That's someone who's worthy to go to bat for. That's someone that you can trust, someone that you can go all in with. And if you're married to somebody who's not that person, I'm sorry. Start working on it now. Start working on it now. Young man, be that person who would say, we're not doing anything under the cover of night. In fact, I'm not even, my conscience won't allow me to act on this right now. What's legally right is for us to wait until tomorrow. Lord, give us a young man that would act like that in 2022. Lord, give us a young man that would just keep his pants up. You think I'm playing. Parents all over, and I hear this all the time, they're just young kids, that's what they're going to do. No, that's not what they're going to do. No, I'm going to raise my kids to be virgins until they find that, that right someone. That's not going to work in 2020 whatever when your kids are that old. Yeah, it will. It worked for me and my wife. We are just not concerned about being people of character anymore. We, co- we co-sign our children making horrible decisions because we're afraid that they're going to drift from us. Maybe you'll teach them to be people of character. And if you're here today, if you're listening, I know it's not a popular message. She had everything to lose. Maybe the fact that you don't feel like you have everything to lose is the problem. Your decisions are more important than that. To enter in to things like that without character being the number one motivating factor to make that decision. Ruth had to, let's see it, see it from her perspective, and I know her time has gotten away. Look, what does it look like? How many want a fresh moving of the Holy Ghost in their life? How many want to do something big for the Lord? How many want the Lord to move a mountain this year and you to do something big for him? Here's what it looks like to go all in. Here's, in 2022, all the Christians are like, during worship, yes, oh God, I want to move mountains with you. Oh, you're so good. You're so God. And then tomorrow, the adulteress comes back into your life, and you're like, yes, let's go cheat on my spouse. We haven't connected holiness with our worship. We haven't connected saying no. Saying yes to one thing is saying no to something else. Just saying yes to God in a worship service, but no to God on Monday when that sin comes back around means you're not following the Lord. You feel me? What does it look like to actually go all in the way Ruth did when only God can control the outcome and it's not something that we can manipulate? She put it all on the threshing floor. She had absolutely no control over the outcome. It was all in who? the Lord's hands. And thank the Lord she chose right. How do you know when you're going all in? When the Lord has to do something. If not, you're not quite there yet. And it's okay, you'll get there. Pastor, you make some radical decisions sometimes. Yup. Why? Because decisions that require a miracle are when the Lord wants to step in. He wants to be like, oh, I see some faith. You only need a grain of a mustard seed. You understand what I'm saying? Only God, when only God can control the outcome, you're going all in. Number two, when our character speaks for us and not our words. That's something that's gone in this society. 
when our character speaks for us and not our words. Number three, when we are ready to wait for the answer. Verse 18, the springboard for next week's message is this. Naomi said, this is the last time they have a conversation. Naomi said, my daughter, wait until you find out how things will go. For he won't rest until he figures this thing out. Listen, how do you know what it looks like to go all in when when you're ready to wait for the answer? The Lord uses waiting in a special way. He said, I don't know what it's going to look like, but he does. So make the move. Make the move. Why? Why would I do that? Because he needs a period of waiting. If, if not, you're doing, you're concocting, you're scheming. That's what he doesn't want. Make the decision to move and let him, let him bless that thing. And boy, will he bless it. Thanks for tuning in for this message on the Bethlehem Church Podcast. We hope it was a blessing to you. If you want to know more about us, feel free to check out our website at Bethlehemchurch.cc. And also in every message that we publish, you'll find our sermon notes in the description. And we hope that you'll study these topics further. We'll see you next time.